Hi, I'm Ryan Dodge Cook, and this is Summit to Talk About, your one-stop podcast for all things hiking, hills, wild camping, and the great outdoors. Happy New Year to you all. I hope you're off to a good start and starting to plan your 2024 adventures. And for many, that might have already started by making the most of the snowtop mountains of Scotland. Or you might still be in hibernation, waiting for that first glimpse of spring. Either way, if you're planning any hiking adventures this year, I can highly recommend the Hiker app. Hiker is free to download and is packed with preloaded trails all over the world with essential route information such as accommodation, public transport stops, shops, drinking water refill spots. Hiker also allows downloadable mapping for free so you can follow your routes offline. Hiker Pro Plus unlocks even more cool features like route planning, location sharing, So go and treat yourself with 20% off for Summit to Talk About listeners by following the link in the show notes. I'd also like to mention Zolio. The Zolio satellite communication device is compact, sleek, and a must-have for peace of mind in the great outdoors. Using the app, you can send messages and your live location to friends or loved ones when there's no mobile network signal, meaning you'll be connected anywhere. The device has an SOS button alerting global rescue of your location in an emergency. And you can get free device activation with the code RyanXZolio. In this episode, I am the guest as Claire and I chat about my experiences from Tanzania, where I went in October 2023 to climb Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is the highest peak in Africa at 5,895 metres, making it one of the seven summits. I had a fantastic time, so I hope you enjoy listening. isn't it because normally we're the ones asking somebody else some questions but today I'm asking you you are technically the guest of the podcast which makes it easier for me because you can do all the editing afterwards yeah if we could have a problem with that you might need to teach me in terms of me interviewing you it's all about your recent expedition we will call it so for anybody who doesn't know where have you recently-ish come back from Uh, Tanzania to uh, climb Kilimanjaro. Fantastic. So, when did you book it? Because it wasn't just like you booked it last week and then you went, was it? It was quite a long time coming. uh, I booked this. It was was two years. I can't remember the exact date. I want to say sort of summer um, two years ago, so 2021. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time coming. And... Did you kind of book it and then get excited? Or did you kind of book it and think, well, it's ages away yet and not give it much thought? I was excited um, at first, the booking. Yes, I finally booked it. Um, But as with anything, with that amount of time there was between that and the actual trek, it was just sort of put on the back burner. Yeah. Um, And it's like anything. So... 
the way I see training for something, right? So if you're going to the gym training for something, if that thing that you're training for is too far in advance, you'll probably taper off. Yeah. Um, and it was a bit like that with it, with the excitement. So I was excited initially and then I thought, well, you know, I've got a countdown, but it's a long way off yet. And other things just sort of crop up and different priorities, work, home life, and you just sort of, not forget about it because it's still exciting, but you you don't have it on the forefront of your mind. Yeah, that makes sense. So Kilimanjaro, why? Um, I think. I, well, I, I wanted to do something big, so I wanted to do a real adventure, and I'd never done any, you know, winter hill skills or anything massive or, or actual climbing. Um, and I know Kilimanjaro is, you know, it's not, it's not a walk in the park. It is one of the seven summits. So one of the, you know, it's the, the highest mountain in Africa. So I know it was a, it was a big adventure and it was a trekking peak. So you don't need any climbing skills. You just need to be able to hike, uh, because there's nothing technical about it as such. So. I thought it'd be a good introduction to big adventures. And I mean, I did look at others, Everest Base Camp, uh, the Machu Picchu trek in Peru, but I wanted, to, I think Kilimanjaro stood out for me as, you know, it's the biggest peak in Africa. It is one of the seven summits. And that was kind of the appeal for me. I think. Okay. And in terms of it being in Africa, did that pose any kind of thoughts as a pro or a con or how did you for me it was the furthest well still is the furthest place I'd ever traveled to okay so I've been you know Europe and I've been to Egypt <laughs> but I'd never traveled as far as as Africa and certainly never had to sort of swap flights mid-journey to get to the destination I've, I was going to and you went alone as well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a bit nerve-wracking in, in, in that sense because it was the transfer in between. So swapping the flights over in Doha, in Qatar, that that was the bit I was nervous about. And mainly because I knew I'd be able to find my way, but the time that I had to do the transfer was building my anxiety levels up. Because I thought, am I going to make it to the next flight? So before we get to that then, for anybody who doesn't know, where did you fly from? How long was the flight? And then where to? You've said Doha, but so how long was that initial flight? So I went from Manchester in the UK to Doha, um, which is in Qatar. And the first flight was around seven hours, seven and a half hours, I think. So big difference compared to flying to Europe as well. Oh, yeah, massively, yeah. yeah. And then what was your transfer time? How long did you have? Uh, it was about an hour and a half, just under, I think. And that's what made me... Because I've never been on a, a... Long haul. A long haul where, especially where you check your baggage in, in <laughs> Manchester, yeah. and just expect it to turn up in Kilimanjaro. After two flights. Yes, and that's the bit I was panicking about. Yeah. Because everything in my luggage I needed for the trek. Not so, like going to Spain, is it? And you no. can buy some sun cream, a sun towel and a pair of swim shorts when you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nothing like that. You know, it's got, I had my hiking boots in there, I had 
my poles, my all my clothes, everything that you think you would need for an eight day trek snacks. was in that bag. Snacks, exactly. Most important. Most important, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, like I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but it actually turned up in Kilimanjaro. Uh, yeah. What are the chances? Oh, no. Shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was an hour and a half then, and then you got into your next flight. How long was that? That one, I think it was about five hours-ish. Okay, so not so bad. Yeah, it weren't as long as the first one. And was that a night flight? It was, yeah. So I'd landed in Doha about half 11 at night, their time. Okay. Something like that. And then flying out again early hours then. So it was still dark and... Doha was really hot as well, by the way. Like, you get off the plane and that heat just hit you. Um, and it was just humid. And, and then, so we had the flight then from Doha to Kilimanjaro International Airport. And that was during the night. And we landed sort of first thing in the morning, really, when, it, you know, the sun had come up whilst I was on the flight. And uh, we landed first thing in the morning, Killy. But before we get to that, I just want to just bring up this little memory because I had I was on the right side of the plane I suppose is the best way of putting it to see the mountain as we were coming into okay. Tanzania so the, you could just see clouds but poking out through the clouds there was two peaks one was Mount Meru and the other one was Mount Kilimanjaro um, and you could just see them poking up and they're the two peaks that are sort of in Tanzania and that was my first glimpse of the mountain. All, you know, all the research that I'd done, two years of waiting, and that was the first glimpse of actually seeing Kilimanjaro. Uh, and that just got me excited again. Excited, nervous as well, or just a pure excitement? Just excitement at that point, because you can't quite get the scale of the okay, mountain yeah. at that stage, because you're above it. But yeah. um, I was excited, because there it was. And that was that was my week ahead. Brilliant. So Tanzania, as you've said, furthest you've travelled. So before we even talk about the trekking, Tanzania itself as an experience. So what was that like from landing and getting to your hotel and things? And what what did you see? Tanzania was an experience for me. Yeah, it was. Uh, so you land Kilimanjaro Airport is small. Yeah. Very basic. Um, get off the plane, walk across the you know the the tarmac and go into the the small building. A lot of people who hadn't sorted visas out before will be sort of rushing about trying to sort their visa in there. It was just crammed of people um, because, you know, you need your visa before you can pass through the border. Okay. Um, so I had already done, done mine. So it was a fairly quick process, actually, um, going through, show, showing you your visa and your passport and then picking up your luggage. But by the time I'd got through the visa bit, the luggage was there ready. And there was some guy already taking it off the belts and, and sort of stacking wow. them up, which was better than having to wait. And then straight out the airport door, literally, you know, we're talking, I don't know, 20 metres max. It's a small airport. And as you walk out the door then, um, you've just got you just loads of people surrounded by people. Uh, all with notice boards with names on and stuff, and that was the hustle and bustle of of then arriving, I guess. And it was easy; the the process was easy. There was someone there with a, with a board with Evertrek and my name on it, nice and easy. Go and wait around the corner, and then sort of into the minibus, and off we went. 
So in the minibus then, was it just yourself or was it other people who were going on the trek as well? Yeah, so there was myself and Sarah and Doug. They were they they were on the same flight as me and I weren't sat anywhere near them, but I'd seen them at Doha on the, the transfer bus because um, I saw the Evertrek t-shirts. Okay. I didn't know they were going on my trek or yeah. anything like that because I didn't know how many would be running at once. But they, yeah, they were on... On the same coach, uh, minibus, I'll call it. It wasn't even a minibus, I think it was like a big car. <laughs> but yeah, they were in the same car as me um, to the hotel from the airport, which was about an hour, okay. hour's journey, despite the fact it's not that far. And that's just because of the roads. Because <laughs> of the kind of state of the roads. Uh, the, the roads themselves weren't too bad, but they'd put like speed bumps in, you know, like temporary speed bumps that you'd mm-hmm. have if there were some roadworks going yeah. on, where they'd just go, just whack a load of that tarmac in a pile yeah. there. And it turns out they're like two foot high. So trying to get over them, the, the driver of the minibus was having to go across some sort of sideways and zigzagging. Oh, it just took ages. Yeah. But yeah, it was an eye-opener then going through, you know, down the main road towards Moshi, which is the town uh, that we were staying in. And going past all the markets and people selling their fruit and their veg on the side of the roads and selling bits of timber. Um, but it weren't like, you know, when you think of a timber merchant in the UK, it weren't like that. There was just like a big, massive pile of logs out outside, someone cutting them and then selling them. It was like very... Basic. Basic, yeah. yeah. But it was like the hustle and bustle of it was, it was great to see all that. And yeah. even again, before your trek, you had a tour around the market, was that right? Yeah, so I'd arrived on the, I want to say Friday. I'd arrived two days before we started trekking. So you, you sort of have an arrivals day. And then the following day, we we had a guide come and meet us and give us a bit of a, a briefing about the trek. And the... Um, there was another guy then who who had arranged for us to go on like a bit of a tour of Moshi. And I say, to, you know, it was a walking tour. We left the hotel. We got to see the rice fields um, just across the road, actually, from the hotel. And, and they're very proud that they've got the, these rice fields because, you know, that, that's an income for yeah. them. Uh, so they showed us that. We walked up to uh, the spring because the hotel we were staying in was the Springlands Hotel, and it's named after Springlands, which is the area, because there's a natural spring there. Okay. And so we went up to see that. We saw some monkeys in the trees whilst we were doing that walk as well, which was just mad. Yeah. And then we went... It was a Sunday at this point, but we went across to the Moshi Kids Centre, which is a charity school that's run by Zara Tours, who operate uh, on behalf of Evertrek in... Um, okay. Kilimanjaro and they've got this charity school and we got to go and see the school which was really nice as well and then we walked into like one of the, the, the villages and through the houses and meeting people through there that was fantastic seeing the kids playing and people just doing their thing on a Sunday it was really nice to see how different that was to back at home when you say kids playing in what way? What so we're not talking like sat on Xboxes, yeah, or even like you know bikes. They were just literally we walked past some kids that were playing in the back of a truck, yeah, yeah. and they were just playing, and that was it. They all seemed really happy, 
and it was nice to see kids playing being kids. and just being kids. Yeah. yeah, that was really nice to see. And then we walked from there up to the markets in Moshi. Bear in mind, this is Sunday. It was absolutely heaving and everyone's selling veg and fruit and seeds and nuts and spices and herbs. All those different smells. Oh, it was mad, yeah. It was... Bright colours yeah. and noise. Yeah. Yeah, it was really sort of hustle and bustle and really tight and close-knit and you have to sort of weave in and out and... Did you feel safe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did actually. And, you know, you can go to somewhere like uh, Some Spain, cities, Greece, Turkey... And, you know, when you just get that hassling of people yeah. going, come on, please come into my shop. Yeah. Please come and buy my stuff. None of that. Absolutely none of it. And it was really nice. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you're after tomatoes, watermelons or pineapples, That's your you're place. laughing. <laughs> yeah, because they're everywhere. So, yeah, we did that and then went in a couple of shops and then went back to the hotel. But, yeah, it was really nice to be able to do that, actually, before the trip. Yeah, because it it had been a bit of a shame, wouldn't it? Well, not a shame. You're going there for the yeah. trek, but to go all that way and not yeah. experience any of their culture. Yeah, it was nice to see to see all of that. I think, and there's a little Brucey bonus because I weren't expecting that, so it was nice. Yeah, oh, perfect. So, in terms of the actual trek, there's a number of different routes that you can choose, isn't there? Yeah. So, which one did you choose, and why? Uh, so initially, when I before I booked it, I was doing my research into the different types of routes, and some of them are, are shorter in terms of how long you're on the mountain. So I think the shortest one is five days. Uh, the Machami route, I think it is, and there's another one called the Morangai route, which is similar, five or six days. But because they're shorter in time you get less time on the mountain to acclimatise to altitude. Okay. And so the success rate for those is lower. Right. Um, and I wanted to have every success. Best chance. And then so I read up on the other routes of the Rongai route, which I think is six days. And I think there might be a seven-day route with that as well. Um, but different companies do different different ones. And then I found Evertrek, which is a UK-based company, um, which... Again, was was one of those things that I was quite eager to do because, you know, it's UK-based. I can speak to the people, any questions I've got, and the customer service was brilliant as well from start to finish. Um, and they offered the Lamosha route, which is one of, I think it is the highest success rate out of all of the routes. Um, and it's an eight-day trek, which is which gives you those extra days to acclimatise. And also the Lamosha route... Uh, time and time again kept coming up as one of the most picturesque and the most it was more quiet because there's less people doing it so I was like yeah that's Ticking the one. all the boxes yeah, yeah pretty much um so that was the one I chose to do and um yeah like I said Evertrek were brilliant for that and their customer service was was bang on so once you'd you obviously had had your talk with the guide and then you've done your tour did the nerves then kick in um not really i think at this point because but bear in mind I'd, I'd rocked up two days before so i was very chilled yeah uh been in my room i'd caught up on my sleep i'd sat and just relaxed in the like the gardens of the hotel and drinking coffee and cold drinks because bear in mind it's like 30 degrees celsius yeah down at this level 
And it was just like being on holiday. I was just nice. really relaxed. So, yeah, it still hadn't kicked in at that point. I think the first time it kicked in is on the day of the trek. Someone said, oh, if you go up to that um, that balcony out the front of the hotel up there near the safety deposit boxes, you can see the mountain. There's a really good view. So when I'd gone up to the safety deposit box, put money and stuff, I just walked along this sort of balcony and there it was. I thought, that is huge. <laughs> it looks... Enormous. Enormous. Yeah. And then I thought, wow, we're going to be climbing that. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of squeaky bum time at that point. I think, um, was that the picture that... Yeah, that's yeah. the picture I sent you, yeah. Yeah, and we put it on Instagram. Yeah, that's we? right, yeah. I mean, it's a fab picture. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But it, yeah, it does look enormous, to be fair. Yeah, and but when you see mountains in the Lake District or... Um, the big, but the close. Big, yeah, that was far, sense. but still, still big. Still massive, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that was the first time it hit me. Okay. So, eight days, did you say yours was? Yeah. Eight days. When did you, how did it start? So we'd had our briefing. We were told that we could take um, a day sack and a duffel bag with 15 kilos maximum. So in the hotel, there's some scales outside so you can weigh your bag, make sure it's within that uh, that 15 kilos. And it's important that it is because the porters are legally only allowed to carry that as a maximum yeah. each. So I'd been messing about with mine, got it all weighed up. And then on the day of the trek, we'd been down for breakfast and the the minibus or small bus had pulled into the hotel yard. And at that point, it was like, right, let's we do it. it. And so they started loading all the bags up on top and then we got in. And it was a three-hour journey from the hotel to the starting point of the trek. Okay. Again, roads um, because of the speed bumps and stuff. And as we got close to the mountain, it was the roads. There were sort of windy lanes that went up and up and up. So, yeah, it took a while. Um, you wouldn't have liked those I was roads. I say scary roads. Scary roads, yeah. 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 So it was, a, it was um, yeah, it was a long, it just, I remember it being long. You just want to start and you're yeah. still not at the start. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to look at. And I'd had my arm out the window and I've still got, well... It's peeling still. Peeling yeah. <laughs> that particular part of my arm. Uh, but yeah, on, just before we head to, we start walking, on the journey in, we'd gone past some like big expanses of land and the driver had pulled over because he'd seen in the field, there was antelope. Oh, wow. So we, we stopped and we were taking pictures of the antelope in the field, um, obviously the wild. And then a little bit further along, he pulled over again. He says, some giraffes. And I was like looking around and, and then I was like, oh, it's there. And we're talking, we was on the side of the road, pulled over. It was across the road and there's some trees and it was there. Giraffe just stood there eating the leaves off the branches. And then behind it, just in a little bit of a distance, there was two more. And I was like, this is incredible. It's pretty surreal, that, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like we pull over in the UK and might see some cows in a farmer's field. Sheep. Might see sheep or yeah. a horse. There were giraffes and they were yeah. wild. Um, so that was incredible to see that. And because I don't think it's giraffes in zoos before. Yeah. Obviously, you can do safaris as well from in Tanzania. But yeah, to see that, that was incredible. Um, then we carried on. We got to the start point of the trek, which was Lamosho Gate. Okay. At that point, there's loads of other treks, uh, like groups of treks that are all meeting at that point, ready to start. 
So that's where the porters and guides get together. They go off and sort what bags they're going to be carrying. And we had a bit of lunch that we'd taken with us. And the head guide then has to go off and sort your tariffs out because Kilimanjaro is a national park and you can't just go wandering into it and go for a walk. You have to have paid a permit, um, which is all paid for, sort of included in the price of your trek. So the, they go off and sort all that out for you and then you start the trek. So we were stood waiting right by the starting point of the trek. And uh, we were watching people going off and we're like, oh, you know, we just can't wait to get started. And then we got started and it was like, oh, this is slow. Um, because the guide sets the pace. And, you know, if you do your research on Killy, it's all poly poly, which means slowly, slowly. And we knew it was going to be slow, but when, like, literally starting from the starting point, you step onto the path and then it's step, step. Wow. Step, like, and we were like, oh, okay. Very slow. Yeah. And, you know, it was just sort of getting you used to that pace because you don't really need to be walking that slow at that level. But I think it was just sort of acclimatizing yeah. you to how you're going to be walking for the next eight days. Because you're not a fast walker. I'm not a fast walker, but I am, aren't I? When we walk together, sometimes I'm a bit ahead. Because you love a good, well, you love going up steps. I love steps. Weirdo. Yeah, I am a weirdo. Um, And I do a power up them, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're weird. But did. Like a sadist. A little bit, yeah. Mm. Did. Obviously, I'm going to ask you about the group in a second, but in terms of the people in your group, was anybody like, no, this is too slow? Um, at first? Not at first, no. No? No. Day two, yes. Okay. Yeah. And at that point, I'm guessing, I mean, obviously there's some height there, but you're not feeling any effect. No, and I think the, the general rule is anything below 2,700 metres, you probably won't feel the effects of altitude. Okay. And then... After that, very, very small chance. But then as you start progressing from that point... It's quite you, a steady progression. You, yeah. And and that's the whole point, and that's the best way to acclimatise. But you do notice it, I think, after... For me, I'm going to say about 3,500 metres, I started noticing it. Okay. And not through headaches or anything like that. It was just breathing deeper and heavier. And I was like, okay, now I'm starting to realise. Did it feel like, you know, when you've been walking or hiking for a long time, like for a full day, Mm. and near the end when you're on that like homeward stretch and your feet are tired and your legs feel heavy, did it ever feel like that kind of effort? Um, or was it purely just the, the my breathing? feet were never hurting because you got to think the distances that we walked weren't weren't massive. Um, the, the climbs were sometimes big, yeah, but it was mostly just breathing, right? And and you were walking slow anyway, yeah, of course. So it weren't that bad. I think it, for me, it was just the breathing. It was I'm having to breathe deeper and I'm having to draw in more oxygen for doing very You're very, very conscious little. of your breathing, yeah. 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 Okay. So you have got to the start. You've got your. You've had your lunch, and you just. You've, yeah. All the permits and everything have been handed in. So day one. What day, did you do then? Day one was the forest section. So 
it was only half a day because we started around lunchtime-ish or something like that. And it was the forest section. So it was, you know, it was just trees. It was, I mean, it was an incline and there were bits of it that were steep incline. And then there was lots of sort of gentle inclines as you're just traveling sort of through the, the forest and the trees. Again, we saw monkeys in there, um, which was amazing. Just sort of jumping above us in the trees. And other than that, really, I mean, it was nice because, and I suppose that's one of the good things about the Mosho route is, you get to see so many different things. And people say, you know, you you experience different zones. Like one day one, you're in the rainforest and then you sort of come out of the rainforest and then it's sort of vast open land and then there's no vegetation at all. And yeah, so yeah, it was a bit like that on day one and it was still hot because we're relatively low. Yeah. Bear in mind, it's 30 degrees at sea level-ish. And so day one was very hot. I remember just being, when we got to camp, I was just drenched with sweat. Yeah. And it was like that uncomfortable, sweaty humidity. Right. Um, so the day one then was, like I say, it was only about four or five hours of of Actually, hiking. Yeah. Um, and that was from Limosho Gate to, and I'm going to try and say this now, uh, Matima Kubwa. I think that's a very good... You having that? Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay. So Matima Kubwa was the like first it. camp. That is Swahili for big tree. Right. So big tree camp is is the translation. And Ask the silly question. Is there a big tree there? There's lots of big trees there because you're okay. still in the forest. the forest at this point, yeah. And it was it was a small camp compared to the rest of them. So the tents were a lot closer together than the camps that followed. Right. Um, in terms of altitude, the, so let me just have a quick look here. I've got this here. So from Lamosho Gate, which was a start point to the first camp, it was seven kilometers. Right. Okay. Four hours. Yeah. So that's not too bad. Lamosho Gate is 2,100 meters uh, above sea level. Yep. And the first camp... Bear with me, drum roll, please. Was not that one. Not that one either. At least you've got all these pictures and everything yeah, to look back on. I know. On. So, ah, here it is. Matima Kumbwa, elevation 2,650 metres. It's about 550? Yeah, about 550, 600-ish. Yeah. Can't remember what I said the first one was. Yeah, so all in all, you know... Like a, a relatively small mountain small, yeah. in the Lake District, but it was gradual as well, so it was like over four And hours. new sites and sounds, yeah. monkeys yeah. and things. Oh, it was fantastic for that, yeah. So you mentioned the camp and the, the tents being a bit closer, so tell yeah. me about the group then. How many of there were you? So there was 10 of us in our group, and I don't know how many porters in all. But I read somewhere that you have something like two porters and one guide per person or something. Oh, wow, okay. There's something along them lines. Don't quote me on that. But you, there was a lot of them. Yeah. And that's because they're carrying your duffel bag, they're carrying your tent, and then you've got people carrying the... the Supplies. The supplies. So you've got, yeah, all the food and, and whatnot. You've got the, the mess tent. Yeah. You've got the cooking tent. You've got the guides' tents, the porters' tents. So there's so much being carried just as a result of 10 people on a trek. 
Yeah, when you think about yeah. it like that. Yeah. But very much a, a well-oiled machine. Oh, very much so. They knew exactly what they're doing and they were very, very good at it. Um, in terms of our group, ten of us, and uh, I will name them. So we've got Sarah and uh, Doug, who are the ones that shared the lift from the airport with me. Uh, there was Kieran, there was Tommy, there was Ellen, there was Margaret, Sally, Sophie, and Scott. Okay. And me. And you, of course. Well remembered, I think. I think that's Didn't very good. Didn't even have that written down. No, I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, so that was the group. Uh, Age-wise? Age what, what did it vary from? It varied, I'd say, from sort of 20s to 50s. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how old everybody was, but I'd say that as a, as a variation. And it was a good mix of people. Really good dynamics because everyone's so different and... You know, every, we laughed every day at some point, like amongst Which us. Is what it you was, need, isn't oh, it? It was great for that, and very supportive of each other. Um, it was just, it was a good group. Yeah. Were you the only person who travelled solo? No. Okay. No, there was Ellen was solo, Margaret was solo, Kieran was solo, okay. Tommy was solo, and I was solo. Do you think there's more in it? I mean. Difficult to say, I guess, because you've done one solo and you've not done one with anybody else. But do you think there feels a bit more of a greater satisfaction of doing something on your own? It makes that experience almost more of an achievement. Yeah, because you, as much as you, you know, you're supportive of each other in the group. It's just you and yourself and your thoughts. And your thoughts, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had my own tent as well because. Because you, because I'm me, yeah, and and I liked that because yeah. I like having my own space. But you know, if you've got any worries or concerns, being you, on your own might not yeah, be a good thing. It might not be. I mean, you, it's just you. Yeah. Like, can I do this? And you're the only person who can answer that. Yeah. So yeah, it was you know, but but in terms of adventure, doing it on your own was amazing. I think. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think that's something I would definitely relate to. Because despite me being me, part of the adventure was meeting people. Yeah. And you'd never Almost think I'd say that. forced into it. Yeah. In a way, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. And obviously you do your podcast and you, you, you're not kind of a stranger to going on a hike or a trek. This clearly was the biggest adventure that you'd been on. But were... The other people kind of similar kind of experiences to you or like were they very much used to going on hikes, treks? Again, varied. Okay. Uh, so Tommy, Sarah and Doug had all been on Everest Base Camp previously. Right, okay. So they'd, you know, they've experienced trekking. They've done some hill walking and stuff. Um, I believe... If I remember rightly, Scott said that he'd never even climbed a mountain before. Oh, okay. At all. Wow. Um, which was, you know, it took me back when he said that to think yeah, that it's your quite first a... mountain's Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, hats off to him, did it as well. Um, yeah, but in terms of experience, I think it's very varied. Yeah. yeah, and again, I think that's a good thing in a group, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, because there's no egos either. You know, yeah. some, you expect sometimes to go, Oh well, I've done this I've done and this I've done that. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you just think, 
if you get that, you're just going to sit there and go, oh, shut here up. we go, we've got eight days yeah. of this. But there was none of that. That's perfect. Yeah. That's what you want, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So day one, you did what you did, then you got to yeah, your camp. Got to what camp. was the camp like? So it was surrounded by trees. Like I said, it was very tight. There was tents very close together in this camp. And this was the first night in the tent. Uh, so we all had the, you know, the mess tent was up. We went in, we had, uh, I can't remember if we had popcorn that day or not, but every day the, the cooks would bring out big trays of freshly popped popcorn, which okay. was a nice little snack. Cause it's yeah. warm and it's just nice. Um, constantly got hot water for brews and stuff. And we just, you know, sat chatting and stuff. Gets dark about quarter past six or something like that every single night. Um, so after that, there's not much to do. It's like, you chat and then you have a debrief from the guides, tell you what you're going to do the next day. And then it's like, well, might as well go to bed then. Yeah. So you go and get in your tent and try and get as much sleep as you can. Did you sleep well? Yeah, I did actually. Did you? Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not kind of a stranger to, to camping anyway, no, are you? No. And, and I did take extra comfort in, in that I took my blow up mattress as well. I mean, the mattresses they provide. A suffice. Okay. You know, that I didn't realise they were they were as thick as they are. If you'd have known, would you not have taken no, those? Okay. Because at times it was hard work. You know, when you finished walking for the day and you're out of breath anyway. Of course. Trying to yeah. get the air in and you're like, oh, I just can't bother. There was one night I didn't bother. I just like, that's no, it. Not bothered, and I was yeah. fine. So, yeah, that's yeah. And I guess at that point, you're that tired. Yeah. You're not going to be bothered anyway, yeah. are you? Uh, I'd read. Uh, before going that it's difficult to sleep at altitude and again it might be for a lot of people I was just so lucky up until that fateful night um, that I just didn't feel any effects of altitude at all I mean we we went to the altitude centre didn't we yeah and we experienced a hit workout yeah that was at 2700 metres yeah and we didn't uh, feel we didn't anything, feel anything. No. We felt out of breath, but, but we'd a done hit a hit workout, workout. would yeah. make us feel yeah. like I didn't feel any different to an, an ordinary yeah. hit workout, if I'm honest. But yeah, and I think that surprised me. Did it surprise you? Yeah, it did. Because I Cause, thought it was going to be just awful. Yeah, and when we come out of there, I felt positive about Killy. I thought this is going to be all right. If it's like that, I'm going to be all right. Yeah, yeah, and mostly was. Yeah. Okay. Day two then? Day two was uh, the trek from Mtimakubwa um, to... Like a pro pronouncing that oh, now. I'm just like fluent in Swahili. And then we went to Shirawan camp. Okay. So on this day, we... First of all, we set off and we're still in the forest. So we're walking through the forest, still quite warm. And we start coming out of the forest this day and we're going into sort of like the heather and we're like the big, tall heathers. Um, but the trees are now going and it's starting to open up a little bit and it's still very, very sort of green and, you know, vegetation everywhere. Um, this was, I found this day tough. For what reason? I think it was the climb. Right. Because it wasn't as gradual and particularly the last part of the, the climb, it was like just almost vertical, but still walking and zigzagging. And it just seemed to go on forever. And at this point, I think I was starting to get like out of breath a bit more. 
and it was still quite hot that day but we'd also experienced the only bit of rain that day as well right and we was going quite high up into the clouds and we were getting a bit of rain but it was still hot um so i i really struggled that day and i i sat there that night remember i remember thinking to myself if it's like this every day i'm gonna really struggle it wasn't luckily yeah Uh, but yeah it was it was a tough one i think that day um just because of the 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 sort of going up yeah yeah and that took us to shira one camp which is at three thousand six hundred and ten meters three thousand six hundred so we've gone from 2650 yeah. I think it was to 3610 so we've done about a thousand meters that okay. day ish and how long were you trekking for um I think we were trekking most of the day right um I can tell you exactly again how many kilometers that was because it'll be on this is the beauty every camp you get to there's a sign and it tells Didn't you all the information how far each of the camps are how long that would potentially take you so Shira one camp from there was seven kilometers. Right. So it's about four hours, it says here, ish. Okay. Yeah. And then what was the camp like? Uh, Shear One camp was more open. Right. So Bit we're not, more space. not under the trees anymore. There's no trees there. Bit more space. Did it feel colder? Uh, no, I don't recall it did. Okay. But because we got there in the rain, it was still a bit sort of wet. And the guides had said, there's an, an acclimatization hike that we can do at this point. Um, but because of the rain, he said, we're probably not going to bother doing it because the weather's awful. Right. But then later on, three of the group said, we want to do it. So the guy sort of rolled his eyes and said, oh, all right, here we go. Then. Come on. And he took him off and to do it. And you were not one of those three. I wasn't, no, because yeah. I was knackered yeah. after that day. Um, so no, I was not one of those people. And they'd gone off to do that. We just relaxed in our tents and had food and, yeah. and the usual. Yeah. What was the food like? Food was good, you know. Yeah, because you were worried about yeah, it. Yeah, hence why I took so many snacks yeah. with me, thinking I'll just have to live off snacks for yeah. the week. But I didn't need to. I hardly touched the snacks. Um, the food was, was pretty decent. Yeah. Like, it was monotonous because, you know, it was either rice or pasta every single meal. And... The meat. Good carbs, though. Good carbs, yeah. I mean, the one night I remember saying, there's no bloody carbs in any of this, <laughs> which isn't great. Do you yet. not know what we're doing? <laughs> uh, you know, there was even serving up meat, and I'd read before that, go oh, veggie, veg- yeah. go veggie. But the meat was decent. Because you were really worried about that. Yeah, yeah. One of my biggest anxieties is is pooing myself. <laughs> Let's be honest, it is. Yeah, I'm laughing because it's true. Yeah. It's like an, an ongoing yeah. joke on your behalf. Not because I poo myself a lot. No, but Not a lot, not anyway. a lot. No, definitely not a <laughs> but lot. But I was worried because we're on a mountain and we're having to use, you know, very basic facilities. Yeah. And what, what happens if the food goes straight through me or I yeah. get food poisoning or whatever? So we don't know, do you? A completely you different diet. Yeah. But the food was pretty good. I enjoyed it, and I I ate plenty. Probably better than you yeah. eat normally. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's more consistent. And there's some proof, isn't there? Yeah, I've lost weight from the from the walk as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's as it's not just the walk, is it? I imagine. I mean, no, probably not. No, no probably, probably eating diet. some vegetarian food. Yeah. Well, vegetables. Veg, yeah. In general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, <clears throat> did you sleep again okay that night? Yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah, 
Um, the well, again didn't do the acclimatization hike, but the next day we were told we would, it was mandatory. Right. Um, and now it climb. Uh, no, it was still in the evening, uh, but it was light still okay. late in the day. Because the next day we went from Shira One Camp to Shira Two Camp, but it was only a short walk. It was something like I think the elevation was like three hundred meters or something. Oh, okay. Um, it was over ten kilometers, right? But it was only three hundred meters. Yeah, it was just like flat expanse of land, flattish expanse of land. So it was a steady day. Uh, like over 300 meters, like you hardly notice any elevation. Um, and again, that took us around, I think it was between three and four hours to do that because it weren't far. Yeah. Um, which then gave us a lot of time. Hence why we were going to be doing the acclimatization hike later in the day. So we got there fairly early, like lunchtime or something. It only took the morning to do the walk. And we rested in the afternoon, chilled out. And then we did the acclimatization hike. Uh, I don't know how much it, it took us, like above four thousand meters. So Shira One Camp was three thousand six hundred and ten meters, um, and we'd only done three hundred meters, so we're still below four thousand. Uh, four thousand when yeah. we got to next camp, but Just. that yeah. And then we'd done the acclimatization hike that definitely took us above four thousand. Uh, I want to say we climbed about 300, 300 metres again, maybe a little bit more, I can't remember. Uh, but we went up and then just came back down for the evening and that was it. Um, but it was, you know, it was just getting us ready. The only downside to that is the next day we did the exact same step-by-step step up to where we'd just oh, been. Of course, you know? yeah. So it's a bit like, oh, we've got to do it again. Was there a significant change in your breathing, how you felt once you got to kind of like the 4,000 Mark. Um, I think I've started to, you know, at 3,600 metres now, bear in mind, Shira One Camp, I was starting to notice yeah. the the lack of oxygen. Very consciously breathing yes. as opposed yeah, and to I just was, naturally doing yeah, it. Yeah, so not only was I noticing it in my breathing, I was trying to adapt my breathing to suit so that I weren't panting. Right. So I'd got into a rhythm of breathing in and out through my nose. Okay. And is that what they recommend or just what you found? Was I'd heard, I had read something online about that, about breathing, because there's, there's quite a lot in breathing to help you with altitude. And I wish I'd have done some more research. Um, and there's a few things that I've seen since I've come back. You wish you'd have seen. Wish I'd have known. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah. But things that I can learn exactly. and take forward. Um, so, yeah, I was very consciously trying to breathe in and out through my nose. To help me. And that kept a steady rhythm of breathing. And I never felt out of breath. Like I didn't, you know, when you're working out and you're like, God, I can't breathe. I was never like that. It was just more effort to yeah, breathe. Yeah, it was just more effort. Right, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, th- I hope it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does to me, whether it is to anybody else. Very different. <laughs> so next day then. So day three. Uh, we're going day four now. So we've gone, we're still on the easy day of 300 metres. This is day three. Yeah. So Shearer 1 to Shearer 2 camp. So Shearer 2 camp is 3,850 metres. So then we did our acclimatisation hike. Yeah. Back uh, down. Back down to the camp. So that, the idea of that is hike high, sleep low, and that's that helps with your acclimatisation. All right, okay. 
Yeah. So then we went into day four. Again, this was a tough day because we'd gone from Shira 2 camp to Barranco camp via Lava Tower. So this was a long slog uphill, 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 and it's dusty and barren and it just seemed like you could see Lava Tower at one point. You're like, it's miles away. It just seems like it's going to take forever to get there. Because remember, we're walking slow. So slowly. You know, yeah. poly poly. Um, really slow. Did anybody kind of want to speed off or go any faster at this stage? Because you said initially yeah. everybody stayed at the same. But Yeah. So on day two, there was a couple in the group initially, Kieran and Tommy, that were happy to go off and walk ahead. And they had a guy go with them. They walked off ahead. Um, and they were, you know, they wanted to walk faster. They were comfortable walking faster. And they did. And then it kind of, the, the group started to split after this point because other people thought, oh, I'll join the faster group. And so then there was two groups of people walking. And, yeah. you know, that's fine. That's it, hike your own hike. Yeah. I say that all the time because. It's got to be enjoyable yeah, for it has. you, hasn't it? And, and I've said this all the time as well that, you know, when I walk on my own without the pressure of knowing that I've got to keep up with someone or knowing that I've got to stop and wait for yeah. someone, you know, it's a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Whereas when you're hiking with me, I don't give a shit. You can just, you know. Well, I mean, I just can't be bothered <laughs> waiting for you. So I just race ahead and then have a nice break till you catch up. Yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and shout to each other between the distances. <laughs> Yeah. So what about this day then? So how long were you actually trekking for on this day? Oh, Even though you said it's, it felt like forever. I think it was most of the day, you know. I think it was It was only meant to be seven hours. Meant to be. Yeah, but I feel like it was a lot more. Yeah. Do you think it was or do you think it just mm, felt no, like No, I think it was. Okay. <laughs> Um, Were you in the slower I remember, group? yeah, there's that, but I remember, I'm sure they said at this point, so when you get to Lava Tower, it's just an hour or two hours down to camp. Was it? Heck? It was a lot longer. Um, but getting to Lava Tower was, was longer. So the point, the purpose of going to Lava Tower was acclimatisation again. Right. Because Lava Tower sits at 4,600 metres. Okay. So this was the highest we'd been at this point. And we'd gone up there. Bear in mind, again, like we'll get to the porters in a bit and we'll talk about them and give them the praise. But we got to Lava Tower and our mess tent was set up and they'd bought us out our lunch. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got there before us, set it all up, and they'd only set the camp up and the, the cook tent and everything just so we could have lunch at that elevation and then come down. You know, it's, that's... It's mad. That well, well-oiled machine, yeah. like we said. Yeah. Um Lava Tower was great. It was like this big, like rock, and I'm guessing Tower of it lava. was. Yeah, I'm guessing that's I mean, exactly that's what it why is. They called it that. Say what you see. Yeah. Um, it was really windy up there as well, and I remember that the mess tent was blowing around like crazy. I'm surprised it even stood up. Stood up. Yeah. And there was loads of people having their food there as well. I'm guessing this is like kind of the the thing that people do. You know, hike up, come back down. Yeah. So we'd gone up there. Um, I was absolutely shattered. And then it was the descent from there then down to Barranco Camp. So you sort of come down like a, almost like come down a valley, I guess. And 
there's some really cool looking trees as well on route down there. And then you can see Barranco Wall, which is sort of next to you as you're walking down this valley towards camp. Then we got to Barranco Camp. Again, another sort of big open camp. Uh, and I remember that night, it was really dark, but clear. And the mountain was just behind us. So Kilimanjaro was just there with the snow on the top and the moon was shining on it. Picturesque. It was very picturesque. I got some good pictures and we're taking pictures of the stars as well. And yeah, it was, that was a good, it was special. Yeah, it felt it. And I was excited for the next day because I knew what was coming. Um, so we'd gone from just to summarize lava tower to Barranco camp. So lava tower was 4,600. Yeah. Barranco camp is at 3,900. So we'd walk down 700 meters. Right. Okay. Um, and again, you know why you're doing it, but it's doesn't it's make like, it any nicer. That's another 600 meters. I've got to get, get back. back up again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but bear in mind, 5,006, uh, sorry, 4,600 is only just over a thousand from being the summit of Kilimanjaro. Yeah, when but you look at it like that, that's a little bit crazy. Yeah, because we then dropped 700 metres, which we had to regain. Um, so it is a bit like, oh, what God. What goes up must come yeah, down and all. Yeah, that's what it's like. So, yeah, we got down to Branco Camp, stayed there. Then the next day was Branco Wall, which I was excited about because I knew it was going to be something different than just poly, poly, step, yeah. step, dusty, barren land. Yeah, um, it was going to be a scramble, and I enjoyed that. Yeah. So it was good. And do you know what was mad about that? We all said, oh, there's no way the portals will be coming this way with all the kit. Uh, they'll find an easier route to camp. So for anyone who doesn't know, describe what the porters look like when they're carrying your kit. Okay, so the porters are um, carrying normally a rucksack of some description. So we'll call it a 60, 70 litre rucksack that's probably bursting at the seams full of stuff. And then on top of that, or on top of their head, they'll have your bags as well. So it could be your duffel bag that's covered up in like a tarp. Um, and that's one that's 15 kilo. Yeah. Yeah, okay. On top of that. So <laughs> um, bear in mind, they're carrying all that weight. Most of them, not with Evertrek, I must add, a lot of them are very, very um, ill-kitted. So right, okay. there was <laughs> some just to point out, there was one that went past us in Crocs. Crocs. Actual Crocs. One that was wearing um like a form of sandal. And the rest wow. of them were just wearing like worn out trainers and stuff. Some had boots, but I mean they get the tips and they get the money. They they can buy these things, but it's not too. a priority. They've got a you know, they've got families and yeah, stuff. Of course. Um so, yeah, a lot of them just weren't kitted out properly. And clothing-wise, it was like, you know, a pair of jogging bottoms, um, just a normal cotton T-shirt or whatever. All the things that we would, like, not wear to yeah. go hiking in. Um, so they've got all this weight on them, wearing their ill-fitted, slippy trainers, <laughs> and they come rolling past us every single day at the speed putting that they can walk. to shame. Yeah, putting you to shame massively because we're walking slow. They're just firing Fine. past you. But also on Barranco Wall. So we're scrambling, climbing up these sections of wall, and they're coming past us and finding tougher routes because obviously we're finding, following the easy path, uh, but they want to get past us. So they're just going up, like, making routes up as they go. To describe Barranco Wall then? Barranco Wall in places was 
a wall. It was vertical. Like, you're having to climb it. Belly flip moment there for me. A lot of it yeah. for you would be, maybe. Or if you not if you don't like heights, there were bits of it that would certainly make you sort of shake a little. But you're, I mean, you like scrambling, but you hate heights yeah. and you love climbing mountains. Just don't look down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> look where you're putting your hands and feet and then you're yeah. fine. And... It, I loved it because it was just something different and there was bits of it that were like, right, I've got to get my leg right up there, I've got to get my hand right up there. And um, I suppose as well, like you say, concentrating on where you're putting your hands and feet, Yeah, it's a different effort, isn't it? So mm. instead of focusing on it's hard to breathe, yeah. look how far we've got yeah. to go, it kind of it doesn't look like it's ever going to end. Yeah. it's It was, I suppose, a massive distraction in a way. Yeah, it was, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was great fun. You loved it. What about the rest of the group? Uh, some people loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some people didn't. Yeah, because um, it was tough, because it was scary. All of the above plus unexpected. Right, okay. Oh, didn't realise we were climbing that. Okay. That kind of unexpectedness. Um, some people had never been scrambling before. Yeah. So, and I mean, if that was your first scramble, fair play to you. Yeah. Because it's, it's not a basic scramble. I mean, it probably is only grade one, but, you know, it's it's quite high. Yeah. It took two hours from top, yeah, from bottom to top. So it was, a, it was a fair scramble. It was good fun. Loved it. Got to the top of that. Oh, bear in mind on this one bit as well, you've got the kissing wall. So the kissing wall is basically a, a lump of rock on the path that you're taking that sticks out a bit. So you kind of have to step round it. Um, so you get really close to it, which is what it's kissing while everybody kisses it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you go past that bit. It's just good fun. We got to the top of that, some great views. We had a rest at the top. And then it was like a bit of a, uh, like a bit of a plateau, really, that takes us off to the next camp. So at this point, we're going from Barranco camp to Karanga camp. And, yeah, this this bit was a bit, tough because it was flat for a bit and then you could see the next camp and you're like brilliant oh, we're, nearly there. we're nearly there however whenever the porters say, uh, sorry whenever the guides say we'll have a little rest <laughs> you know it's because something tough is about to come right okay and they said we'll have a little rest and we were thinking camp's the camp's there. just there so we carried on walking after our little rest only to see what's best described as another valley where you've got to go right down and then you can up. see the path going up to camp and it looked Steep horrendous. Yeah. And it was because, and it was just because going down was tough because it was loose scree and people were slipping over onto their backsides and it was tough coming down. Yeah. You get to the bottom and you look up and you're like, I've got to get up there yet. <sighs> and it was hot as well this day for some reason. It was just really hot. Uh, so we, <laughs> we trekked all the way up. There's little zigzags. And finally get to Karanga Camp, um, which is the sort of one before last camp, really. Um, what kind of height are you at then at this stage? At this stage, Karanga Camp um, is, that's not that one. Bear with me, caller. Uh, I don't think, like, I don't feel like it was that high, you know. Was there not one that you didn't take a picture of because you couldn't? It was this one. Yeah. See, I listen to you, you when you do, talk don't to me. You? Yeah. Can't remember the names of them. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was a walk to the that's side. That's right. Wasn't yeah. It? So I remember getting to camp, um, 
And this camp and the last camp, Arafu camp, they were on like a a massive, like steep incline. They were just on hills, right. but it was dry scree hills. So it was really treacherous to walk about and hard work just yeah. to walk around camp. And I remember I got there and Kieran said, because I said, oh, there was no sign at this one. So every time you get to a camp, there's a hut where there's a ranger, park, park ranger, and you have to sign in to each camp. And when you get to them normally, the sign's there that tells you you've arrived at such and such camp. This, this is, is the elevation. Yeah. How long it is to the next one? And Kieran said, oh, no, I said, oh, there's no sign at this one. He said, oh, no, there is. It's just further up. It's hmm. up there. And he goes, uh, it's a bit of a trek to get up there. Like, it's up the hill. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to bother then. <laughs> Did you take a picture? Can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> so I just didn't bother going up to it. Um but yeah, this was the, the one before last. The next day weren't a long trek because... You had to do a lot of resting. It, yeah, because it, the next day was summit night then. So the next day was a, sh- a shortish trek. Um, again, I think we got there late morning. So every day we started at half seven trekking. Right. Like we were walking at half seven. In the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'd left at half seven. We got there late morning to Barafu Camp, also known as Base Camp. Uh, this is the last camp before you summit push. Again, it was on a massive slope, horrendous to try and walk Stay around. Stay upright. Luckily, they'd found a flat-ish <laughs> pitch for the tents. Um, but as soon as you st- like, as soon as I stepped out of my tent, like you, you're sort of being really careful that you don't just go flying. That's how treacherous that can be. Because it was, was it loose as well? Yeah, yeah. loose, loose screen. <coughs> um, you almost want to step out of your tent and just get straight on your, your trekking poles to support yourself. Wow. That's what it was like. Um, so th- that day then we arrived at camp. We rested a lot. Um, it was a case of, it was like a waiting game really because we'd had a briefing as well and they said, right, so what's going to happen is this. You're going to, you know, you your food will come out as normal later on for your evening meal. Then it's time to go to bed. Yeah. Um, and then we split into two groups again for speed purposes. Yeah. Uh, one group was going to leave at half 11 evening and then the group leaving at 12. I was in the slow group. I opted to go in the slow group. Yeah. Half 11. We were leaving. Um, so I did sleep, you know. A lot of people say, oh, they struggled to sleep on that night anyway because... Excitement, nerves. Excitement, nerves, altitude, altitude. all of those things. Um, bear in mind, so this camp is at 3,900 metres. Right, okay. So, you know, we'd already camped at that level. Yeah. It's quite low, really. It's not. It's not, but we'd already camped at that level. Yeah. We'd been higher than that, so, you know, we're, we're relatively acclimatised. From there, the sign says to get to the summit is... Uh, oh, that's Barranco Camp. That's not the right camp at all. So scrap what I just said then. Don't even listen to a word I've told you. Barafu Camp is at 4,673 metres. Wow, yeah. So it's high. That's the highest we've camped. Um, and the sign says here to Uhuru Peak is five kilometers, not far at all. No. However, it's a seven hour, it says seven hours because 4,673 is where you are. Uhuru Peak is like 5,800 odd meters. So you're looking at 1,200 meters ish yeah. there and thereabouts. 
of a climb over five kilometers. So you can imagine the wow, incline. Yeah. Um, so yeah, seven hours it says to get to that point. So we set off at like, I think it was about quarter two by the time we'd actually started walking. It was dark. It was cold. Head torches on. The first time you'd felt the cold, really? Uh, yeah. 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 It had not been overly cold. Even, even at night sleeping, you know, you've obviously got a four season bag, um, sleeping in, but I've never felt the cold really up until this point. And this night was very windy. So you've got so the wind chill factor. Yeah, of course. So we started walking. Um, I've got, at this point, I've got two long sleeve base layers, a mid layer, and my waterproof over the top. Later, as it started getting colder because we were getting higher, I'd put my down jacket on as well. I'd got... Um, That's a lot of layers for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And only trekking shorts. Yeah. Uh, I've got liner gloves and a thick outer glove. Woolly hat with my beanie, uh, not my beanie, my snood buff pulled up as well. So, yeah, you're you wrapped up as much as you can be. We started walking. Oh, bear in mind, I forgot to tell this. It's quite an important thing. So every day when we have a debrief, the guides will use an oximeter, which is one of those things that the nurses will put on your finger so they can check your pulse, your stats, your, your blood oxygen levels. Throughout the week, mine had progressively got lower. What kind of should it be? It should be 100. I mean, ideally, you want it at 100. So 98 to 100 is... Good. It's good, what's, yeah. what's what it should be. Mine's never that anyway. All right, fair enough. It's not overly accurate when I use my watch to do that. Um, but it's normally around 94, 95, mine. As we started trekking, I think, like, the first night was 89. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, the guides weren't worried at this point. You know, They said anything below 80 will start panicking. Right. We're not panicking. We'll, we'll watch Having it. a good think. Yeah, we'll have a good think. Mm. Yeah, we might even scratch our heads. <laughs> um, I think it was like it went down to 84, then it was 79, then it was 74, or something like that, but it was going down like that much. And were you worried? I wasn't, and the only reason why I wasn't is because I felt absolutely fine, normal. Right. I weren't feel. I, I'd never have said. I reckon my oxygen levels are low. I'm not feeling good. Yeah. You know. Never. I, so it was almost a surprise that yeah, they were so low. Yeah. I could, it didn't tally with how you were feeling. No, I felt like I do now, like at sea level. That maybe, was weird. maybe we should check. Yeah, I know, maybe we should. <laughs> it, was, it was strange because everyone else in the group was still sort of hitting ninety. 90. Literally everybody. Yeah, some I think summit night. Someone was on 95, 96. Wow. Yeah. And did they do any specific training? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. It's, interesting. It is interesting. Whether it's because I've got underlying health conditions, I don't know. I mean, I think the phrase I used was, you would never win best of breed. Yeah, that was your words. Yeah, exact yeah. words. It's true. It's, it's true. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm no pedigree. No. Um... <laughs> true so yeah progressively got lower summit night i want to say it was like 71 to start with okay but i felt fine they said because they looked at me and i was like <laughs> i feel fine they're like fine okay and they're experienced aren't they so they yeah. would have if they'd have picked up on anything from you then yeah yeah so we trekked 
off we went. Into the dark, into the cold, head for the summit. Is it the first night summit you did? Night walk that you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'd not walked in the dark at this point. So head torches on, off we go. Um, <sighs> I'm going to have to interrupt you here. Okay. How was your head torch? Oh, yeah, it was working. Yeah, so yeah. for anybody listening, the night before Ryan went to the airport, he told me that, which I knew actually from previous walks with him, his head torch wasn't working. Yeah. So I said, well, should we go and buy you another one or do you want to borrow mine? And he's like, it'll probably be fine. Probably. And it was. I mean, that's lucky. Yeah, don't take my advice then. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It just needed a little sort of tap. Yeah, but... If in doubt, give it a clout. <sighs> yeah, it's not my mentality. Well, it worked. It did work. You're lucky is all I can say. Yeah, and I've tried it before I left the hotel. It's not uh, like I've just gone up to the But it's temperamental, isn't it? We've been yeah. on walks where it's not, wor- yeah. not worked. So, yeah. anyway, I digress. Continue. It worked. <laughs> yes, you were right. However, about three hours in, something stopped working. <laughs> and I think that was me. Yeah. It's that yeah. not winning best of breed again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. No pedigree. So, what had happened? Well, we're walking... Poly poly, nice and slow. Um, we got to a point where I started getting a bit dizzy, and I didn't, but but also confused because I weren't acknowledging the fact that I was dizzy. I know I was, but I wasn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't registering. It wasn't yeah. computing. So to the point where you know there's something wrong with you, but when someone says, "Are you okay?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah I'm fine." Because you can't kind of almost yeah. put it into words or yeah. you don't know why you don't feel quite right. Yes. Okay. That's that's pretty much what happened. Right. And then my vision started to go a bit blurry. And I was like, hang on a minute. Something's not right. Something's not right. But are you okay? Yeah, I'm yeah. fine. So the guide that was with me got the oximeter out again and he checked it. And I want to say it was like 40 something at this wow. point. So it's very low. Yes. Do you want to carry on? Of course I do. Let's go. Going to the summit. In my head, I'm going to the summit. You know, that's what I'm here for. Did he know you were dizzy and confused? No, because I didn't tell him. Right, okay. Because I didn't know how to say it. I didn't. Not because I didn't want to. I was, this is now hindsight talking. I obviously didn't. I wasn't compass mentis. I wasn't well. Um, But he said to me, I do remember this bit. He said, let's give it another 20 minutes and we'll check you again. So I was like, yes, let's go. Keep walking. And at this point, I remember I heard a voice behind me and it it was Sally saying, Ryan, is that you? So that group had obviously come past at this point, the other group, the fast group. Um, I don't know whether they passed me at this point or what. I don't remember. And I remember carried on walking, but I don't think it was the 20 minutes he'd said we'd carry on walking for. And he tested me again. It was 35. Wow. At this point, I said, I'm fine. Let's carry on. <laughs> of course. And he says, no, no. <laughs> you're not carrying on. He goes, I'm sorry, brother. That's it. And I was like, no, come on. And he said, no, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't let you. We need to go back down. Yeah. Um, and we were, I don't know how long we were stood there. It couldn't have been long. But I remember then I started shaking. 
not because he told me I couldn't go up and I was angry. It was so cold, the, yeah. the wind, and we were stood still. And I was shaking. And I think now, looking at it, I was probably maybe even going hypothermic yeah. without realising it. He spotted this in me. The guides was was spot on. He, he'd noticed that. He took his jacket off, put that on top of me. So I, I now had two, down two, two base layers, long sleeve, a mid layer, my raincoat, my down jacket and his down jacket. Wow. And I was shaking. And your liners, your yeah. gloves. Your- he then started to try and put his waterproof trousers out of his bag over me, over my trousers, but over my boots. And he couldn't do it. Bear in mind, stood on a mountain in the dark, in the wind. And you're dizzy and yeah. not very with it. So he was trying and uh, he goes, just forget it, we need to move. So he put him back in his bag, took one of my trekking poles off me, linked my arm so I had one trekking pole, one arm linked. He took the other trekking pole. And I want to say that's probably the last I remember till I got to my tent. And what kind of time frame was that? So bear in mind, we left at half 11, got back to my tent at quarter to six. Wow. So I was out for a good six hours. Yeah. Ish. Um. So based on that, I'm going to say... I was probably walking for three to... Between three and four hours. We have no recollection. No, don't remember it. Which is mad now when I think about it because if there was no guide with me, I'd have probably just died. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I'd have probably sat down somewhere and gone, I'll wait wait for them to come back. I'm a bit dizzy, I'll wait till that passes. Anything like that could have happened. I know that sounds like drastic, but it's it's probably reality. Um, So he dragged me down and what I do remember about that is because I don't remember it, I also remember my eyes were closing. You know when you're just sort of nodding off and then waking up again? A bit yeah. like when I'm driving. About to say that. <laughs> that was happening, but I was still on my feet. So he was just dragging me. That's what I remember. I'm not going to lie. The only kind of experience I've got of that is being blind drunk. Yeah, and just it was a bit like that. Yes. I was being drunk. Yes. And I kept saying, I'm just going to have a little sleep. Yeah. But, but I was you still stood up. stood up. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the best yeah. way of describing it. And it's a very strange feeling because yeah. you're in a deep sleep. Yeah. Or you feel like you feel you like are. you are. Yeah. But he's dragging you down a mountain. Yeah. I was across the wind. A, bre- a, a breach, a beach. Yeah. In the sun, slightly different. Yeah. 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 But that's probably a good way of describing it. So he dragged me down. Um, I started to sort of come around a bit more because we'd come down. Yeah. Because um, I remember getting to camp because I could see the camp. I remember Did seeing you, it. Have you sat through done? When I got to the tent. Right, okay. Um, so we got down to the tent. Bear in mind, our tents were at the bottom of the camp and I said they're on a hill. Oh. So we, our camp was at the bottom of the camp. Right. So we were just going through all the scree and whatnot. Got to my tent, sat down in my tent. But I remember first, before I did that, so I must have come round a fair bit because as I got to my tent, the sun was just, just starting to turn the sky orange at this point. So I couldn't see the sun, but the sky was turning orange and I took a picture of it because it was beautiful. And then I got in my tent um, and he tested my my blood again. It was like 40-something. He said, you need to go to sleep. So... Easy. I was yeah. naked anyway. Went to bed um, and then sort of woke up mid-morning then. I say wake up. 
he came and knocked on the tent to come and check on me again. Right. Um, bear in mind, everyone else is still up the mountain at this point, did like summit push and probably celebrating. And I was sat in the tent, woke up, tested my thing again. It was 53, I think it was. So it is going still low, back up, but, but very it's going up. Still, yeah. Based on that, uh, he said, right, there's going to be some food bought out for you in a minute. You need to get your food and then pack your stuff. We're going down the, down the mountain. Um, so I did that. I felt fine again, even though it was only 53. I felt fine at this point again. Got all my stuff together. Um, and then me and the guide, just us two, started walking then down to the next camp. Um, I'd had a bit of sleep. That, but the same as everybody, and everyone will agree with this, the hike from this point down to the next camp Rubbish. was awful. Horrible. It was just long. It was the dustiest. There's no goal now, is there either? No, not for me. And I was feeling deflated <laughs> at course, this point anyway. Yeah. Um, but it was so dusty. I've never experienced so much dust. And um, like, my boots are black. My trousers are black. Were your bag? But they were, they looked white. Everything looked white because of how dusty it was. Um, so it was just downhill the whole day. And it was just like, yeah, boring. And I remember saying to him, oh, how far have we got? He goes, right, we get to Millennium Camp. And then after that, um, there'll only be three hours or sure. something like that, I think he said. I was like, brilliant. We get to Millennium Camp, have a rest again and wait for people. We got to Millennium Camp. We just carried on walking. I thought... Sure, Why yeah, do you use this as a bit of a way marker if we're just walking through it? And we did just walk through it and then carried on for wow. the next three hours or whatever it was to the next camp, which um, was Mueca Camp, I think it was. Again, at this point, we've come down through some trees and we're in the foresty bit again. Right, yeah. Um, and then I got to camp for wait for everybody else because they were still up there. I was just sat there in camp outside my tent like, that's my killy journey over. Sat there moping in my own sort of. How long did you mope for? Thoughts. Only a bit. I had a, a nap as well. So. Well, that always <laughs> um, helps, doesn't it? Well, there was nothing else to do. Yeah. There's no one there. There's just me. Uh, so I just did that and, and had a, a nap, waiting for people to turn up again. That night, though, as people started coming down to camp, um, I think there was only three of us, four of us had had food that night so they bought this food out there's just four of us in the tent everyone just went straight to bed because you're tired yeah so yeah we did that and that was that was basically it everyone was all excited and at this point as people were coming in I was like did you make it yeah everyone you know telling did me did everybody news. know already that you'd no taken ill no. so did you have to tell everybody well, they might, some of them may have done just from being at the previous camp I don't know what they were told right okay um I, ah, no, I remember because some people thought that I would, I was emergency evacuated, i.e. Right. they weren't going to see me again. Yeah. Um, but then they're like, oh my God, you're here. You're at this camp. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I walked down. After, and they're like, you yeah. were really ill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, that night then, so this the night in that camp, um, Johnny, the head guide, come and did the debrief again. There was only four of us in the tent. Um he said, you know, well done, everybody, you made it. Um, and he said to me, he said, you are now one of my, re like, you're in the record books. I was like, why? And he says, because he's been a guide for 21 years on the mountain. The lowest blood saturation reading he's seen in that time was 49. <laughs> and that person 
was a guide. Wow. So plenty of experience on yeah. the mountain. He was a guide, fell ill on summit night, and they um, evacuated him via helicopter straight to the hospital from the top, like near the top. I walked down. Having read and it was much lower. Yeah. And you're not a guide. <laughs> I'm not. No. <laughs> Probably a good job in this instance. Yeah. So, yeah, he says, yeah, you and I in my record books as the lowest reading. I was like, well, at least I can take something away. Yeah. Even if it's not a certificate to say I summited. I mean, you could have asked him for a certificate for that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe Guinness Book of Records, right? To yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, could be. Yeah. No way of proving it, though, is it? Should have took a picture if yeah. I, it was confident. But yeah, so then the final day, we woke up in the morning. I think we left half an hour later. Ooh. <laughs> um, but it was a a three-hour trek, I think it was. Out again, it was through the woods, through the forest. But it was... Warm again. It's, yeah, it was warm again, but it was downhill. And I say downhill, it was steps. But not right. like little steps. You know, like when you, you walk a bit and there's a log, then step, walk a bit, log, step. Yeah. It was like that for three hours. Yeah, that's It was tough. pretty horrendous. And there was bits of it, because you're in, in the foresty bit now, it's mud. Yeah. So if it had been raining, that would have been slippy so slippy. Hell, I mean, yeah. people did slip over that day. Um, but it was just, it was monotonous. It was downhill. It was steep in places. And you just thought, this is never ending. Uh but luckily, it did eventually end, and you sort of come down this hill. You start hearing a bit of hustle and bustle because you're like you're near the end, and you get to Mweka Gate, it's called, and that's it. The sign's there. Congratulations, you finished the trek. Um, there's a little sort of bar thing selling Kilimanjaro mm-hmm. lagers. Um, you, there was a uh, two guys at the end that had a bucket of water and a sponge, and they were washing people's boots. So I give them $2 and they clean my boots Brilliant. up. That was excellent. And we just sat there then, waiting for everybody to come down before we got on the bus and headed back to the hotel. What was your kind of, your mood? What were your thoughts at this point now? That you'd kind of had time to kind of take on board that you'd not summited, but... Mm. I was still a bit gutted at this point. Yeah. And it, it, I think it didn't, it took me till... Probably I got when I got home when it made me realise that it weren't all about the summit. The whole experience. Yeah, yeah. As much as that hurt to say that to myself. Yeah. Um, and it it's cliche, isn't it? But it is all about the journey. Massively. Because you know you're at the peak for probably ten minutes. Yeah, it's the the smallest fraction of the yeah. experience, isn't yeah. it? And when you look at the rest of the experience, if I was Let's say my goal was to go out there and just go hiking. You did it. In the hills and, the, you know, the mountain of Kilimanjaro. I did it. I did that. And it was amazing. Yeah. Like, what an experience that was. To trek to the highest altitude I've ever trekked to, to see the view of having that mountain just hovering over us yeah. the whole time, to see the animals, to see, to to be amongst the porters and guides. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Like, the, the experience itself, the journey was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so don't regret it. No. Um, don't get me wrong, I've got unfinished business on Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And I will return to go and get what I wanted. Um, but all in all, the the trek itself was, was amazing, brilliant. And in terms of unfinished business then, you well, you've got something else, haven't you? 
in the pipeline. Well, it's not even in the pipeline, is it? Um, are we talking about the National Three Peaks Challenge? I wasn't, no. I was All right, well, that's unfinished business that's been mentioned again recently. Yeah, I was thinking a bit further afield. Everest Base Camp. Yeah. Yeah, so those of you that know, I'd booked Kilimanjaro through Evertrek. They often hold competitions to win treks. I won the Everest Base Camp trek, which I've booked for myself and my wife in 2025. Obviously, that is extremely exciting, but now there's that little touch of, what if I don't make it? But what if you don't? You've, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's still the experience, yeah. is it? And the, the, the benefit of, it, of Everest Base Camp is it's not like you've got to reach a summit. Yeah. You're just getting to a... You just get into and it's going to be a, a massive rock with graffiti on it. I suppose anyway, one way isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. And also, and, you, you know, on Killy, you, you're sleeping in camps, you're in tents. Yeah. When you're on EBC, you're going through little towns and villages on the way up and staying in tea houses. So you're yeah. experiencing a different culture. And you're not going to be on your own. No. I mean, you were. Well, you were yeah, with yeah, a group, yeah. but yeah. So it's going to be completely different in so many ways. Yes, yeah. and. From what I've heard from people on our trek and from what I've read, EBC isn't as tough as Killy. Okay. So does that mean that you're planning on revisiting Killy before then or after It probably then? won't be before. Yeah. No. I mean, there's, we've not mentioned it, but there's a... There's quite a big financial payout, isn't there, to... Yeah, not to me. Well, no, no not to you, didn't pay uh, you. No, that there is. It's, you know, it's not cheap, no. adventure travel. No. It's not like just getting a self-catering holiday to Benidorm. Your insurance and your kit alone. Yeah, well, look at the kit that I bought before I went. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't just go into this naively. Um, oh, you know, we'll do a part two to this because there's, there's a, a lot, lot of questions. A lot of questions there? that need answering. I've Tips. told you about the trek. I've explained how that works and, you know, what it what it did for me. But, you know, there's a lot of people going, well, what, if I do Killy, what do what I need? What do I need? What are my, your top tips? Do I need to do any training? Yeah. How much money do I need to take? How much do I tip people? How do I do a poo on the mountain? I mean, that is a question I asked. Yeah, it is. But don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. Um, but all of these questions are... You know, they're the nitty gritty, the yeah. things people, people need to, know. to yeah. know if they were going to do a trek. So we'll do a part two of top tips, questions and answers. Um, and, you know, we'll be completely raw about it, I think. Yeah. You know, I won't. Warts beat, and all, so to speak. Yeah, warts and all. I won't beat round the bush. No. I mean, you know, if you want to know how much money I took with me, I'll tell you how much yeah. money I took with me. I'll tell you how much I bought back as well. Um, I'll tell you what to avoid, who not to talk to. That kind of thing. Yeah. Because, you know, when... There's no point you just... Us doing this and you just saying, now no. this is what I did on day one, this is what I did on two. Yeah. Okay, so how do I do it? Yeah. What do I need to do to be able to go and have that kind of experience? Yeah, and uh, I'd like to be able to help people. Yeah. To go and do that. I'll tell you what kit I took, etc., etc. And actually, this is a good point now. So if you are listening and you've got any questions that you want answering you can always drop us a message yeah. and well, what Ryan. we'll do is we'll release this and then i reckon we'll release the q a a week after to give some, you've got some questions get them to yeah. us and uh we well ryan will be answering yeah. them for you so if you've got any questions about kilimanjaro uh how to get there what to take with you what it's like anything you want i'll answer it um 
if I can't answer it on the podcast because it's so rude, I might even message you. <laughs> wow, what an offer. What an offer. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> interested to see what questions you're going to get now. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my trip. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up because then we had a day of... Sort of, you have a like a you have an arrivals day when you get there. You have a, a sort of departure day, uh, but I had a departure day and some. So I was I had a day to relax in the hotel, which was great. Uh, just chilled out, and then the following day got my flight back. You've missed a vital part: the song. Of course, I didn't shut up about it the whole time I was there. Yes, it how does. can I miss that out? We'll put it on here because it's you got to hear it. So on the Kilimanjaro. The porters and guides, it's almost part of the culture that they have the Kilimanjaro song. And I believe it actually came from Kenya, but it's been adopted in Tanzania. Um, all week, we didn't have that song sung to us. And I knew it was coming. <laughs> and I was getting a little bit wound up that we hadn't had it. And I almost blamed me not summiting because we hadn't had the song. I imagine. I know. That's what I was getting to. I didn't sum it because you hadn't sang to me. That obviously weren't the case. But um, so the song then is, for me, it's one of those things when you're doing your research, you're like, I can't wait to hear them do the song and do the dancing. Um, but they didn't. And then on the last night, so after summit night at the camp, Johnny, the head guy, come and told us that actually there's a law within the National Park that says you can't sing the song every day and it can only be sung on day one of the trek and the last day of the trek. Don't know why, but Johnny was also uh, the treasurer for one of like the unions that look after the ports and guides. So he explained, you know, that's the rules, but we will be singing it tomorrow because it's the last day. Oh, oh so it, they could choose day one or the last day? Or both, maybe, I'm not okay. sure. But we definitely didn't get a day one. So the last day come and we were in the mess tent having our breakfast and they all the porters and guides started sort of approaching the mess tent and started singing and clapping. I was like, yay, it's happening. So I was straight onto it, hit record on my, my voice recorder on my phone um, and recorded it. I've got the video of it somewhere, courtesy of Doug, and I think Sally might have recorded it as well. It's on, on a WhatsApp group we've got. So I will share them online because it was just one of those little highlights, I think. I really enjoyed it. It was just great to see them like get stuck into it because it was you know they're dead passionate about yeah. it yeah so yeah that's the song and I guess seeing the people who've basically made your yeah. trip happen yeah because we'd seen them all at some point mostly just walking past us yeah working yeah we wouldn't have known it was them because I was always looking out for my duffel bag it's bright red <laughs> yeah. couldn't see it because they've got tarps over them as well in case the, the weather turns but yeah, they just come firing past you and you don't know what to do. But uh, it, it has to be said that the guides and porters are genuinely superhuman. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean that because the speed that they walk at, the strength that they've got. The agility. Uh, the agility, the endurance. just They were just absolutely phenomenal beings. When you're panting and breathing and like... Just looking for that extra bit of strength to get you through, and they come like firing past you, laughing and joking. And some of them have got little radios hanging off their bags as well, so listening to music as they're walking. It's just they're incredible. And to think that you know, you cannot physically do that trek without, without them. I mean, you could, you'd have to be 
like an extremely experienced yeah. trekker or mountaineer. Um, I mean, in terms of the law, you can't do it yeah. in Tanzania without them anyway. But, you know, to think that that trek is as comfortable as it can be because of the amount of carrying that they do and setting up of the camps that they do for you. Um, it, absolutely incredible. Worth their weight in gold. So when it does come to tips, give what you can. Yeah. Mm. Because they rely on that more than the wage. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a good good ending point for the first part. Do you I agree? I think so. So, yeah. If you have got any questions, get them in. You know, message me on Instagram through the Summit to Talk About uh, podcast page or Summit to Talk About Claire. Send your messages in, questions and answers, and we'll get that out on the next episode. We will. Hakuna Matata. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed listening and that you've gained some knowledge on Kilimanjaro. So I didn't make it this time, but I will be back. Two months have passed and there hasn't been a single day that I've not thought about the mountain and the fact that I never summited. If there's anything that you want to ask, you've got any burning questions, then please drop me a message on WhatsApp, through Instagram or Facebook, or you can email me podcast at summittotalkabout.uk. All the contact details can be found in the show notes. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or on iTunes. It really means a lot to me and it helps the algorithms to make the podcast easier to find for new listeners. Now, it would be a crime for me not to end this episode with the full Kilimanjaro song, which I recorded at our last camp before finishing the trek. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and I'll see you in the next one.